we have talked last week on Romans, the fourth chapter, and I have sort of uh, gone over it uh, in some detail and some very general. And I'm going to do the same thing today, but I'm going to reverse it. What I was in, in, in detail, I'm going to now be a little bit more general about. And what I was in general, I'm going to be a, a little bit more detail about. Okay? So, um, Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. The title is Abraham Believed, Part 2. Amen. Amen. Abraham Believed, Part 2. What a characteristic of a man to be known that he believed God. Are you known to believe God? Or are you known to everybody else that you believe God? And, but to yourself, you're known that you don't really believe Him all that much. Um, and I'm asking if you believe God. I'm not asking if you believe in God. Because there is a big difference between believing in God and believing God. Okay, lots of people who believe in God don't necessarily always believe Him. Um, so, but it is a characteristic. Nobody is perfect in this, but there needs to be a consistency. If you are going to be known to yourself and to other people that you are a person who believes God. And I want to be known to myself. I want to be known to the angels. And I want to be known to you that I believe God. And now, to believe God, to me, is not a big thing. He is easy to believe. He is the Almighty One. The Almighty One. So, if you don't believe in Him, by uh, definition, or let's say by default, you believe in something else, or in someone else. Yes? You need something. You need a car. And instead of believing God, you believe in yourself, or you believe somebody else that is going to supply you a car. No, nobody is more able than God. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You may as well uh, 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 trust your five-year-old grandson that he's going to give you a car. God is so much more capable and so much more able. So, <clears throat> the, the chapter, the fundamental part of this chapter is about faith in God. That is the, the, the bottom line thing. Faith in God. And with that comes the justification that comes with faith in God. Yes? Yes? So, in other words, the justification which puts you in a position of righteousness without which you don't have that standing with God. And that, that righteousness comes only through faith in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so now, throughout the chapter, there will be a sort of like a, a, a she, she, she's, she's totally fine, okay? Yes, uh, uh, to, totally fine. Uh, yeah, she's, you know, praising God. Where's everybody? Why is not everybody praising God, she's saying. Um, throughout the chapter, there's a, 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 an outline that goes something like this. The... Paul is arguing or making a case like a, an attorney, like a lawyer, um, that he says that justification or righteousness, or another word that is used here, blessedness, or this particular blessed state, all these terms, we, we'll go over it in just a little bit, comes only through faith. Or through faith alone in God. Are you with me? It doesn't come in any other way that you can get justification or a righteous position with God. And Paul is making this case here, over here, and we'll, we'll go through it. So, the, the, the outline is basically sort of like um, justification by faith. 
And let me just explain a little bit as we're going to go over the scriptures in just a little while. That justification is by faith alone. But that faith, and sorry, let me go again. Justification is by faith alone and not by works. But that faith, that saving faith that gives you justification and that gives you in a position of righteousness is not alone. Inherent to it is good works. But the good works don't get you saved. The faith gets you saved. And the good works are, is just part of that package. Are you with me? Okay. So that is important to know because that is the very argument that Paul is making over here. Um, so then I'll go sort of quickly through verses 1 through 5-ish. Uh, maybe I'll go a little bit slower. Um, so verse 1 reads like, like this. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? Uh, verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. Verse 4. For what say the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We'll stop over there, and then we'll, we'll talk about this, then we'll pick it back up at verse, verse 6. So, here in verses 1, um, verses one and through 3, uh, Paul is arguing that justification comes by faith. And he is saying, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? He found that if you go the works way, it doesn't get you there. You have to go the faith way. Because it is when he exercised faith that it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Nothing else. And he continues the argument later on because, you know, circumcision comes in place, works come in place, the law comes in place, and all these type of things. And what do they have to do with it? Um, for if Abraham were justified by works, if that's what would give him justification or righteous standing with God, if it came that way, then Abraham, by definition, would have something to boast about. Yes? Look what I did. I did it, not God. But, he says, not before God, Paul is arguing over here. Before God, no one gets to boast. No one. So, it was then not by works, because otherwise he could boast. So, he's, he's just making the case. So, he says, it's not by, it's by faith. And then he goes into, he slides sort of into the idea that it is not by works. It is by faith apart from works. So, um, <clears throat> verse 3 says, For what say the scripture? Abraham believed God. What a statement. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for, righteous, for righteousness. We have typically the, uh, the tendency to think that it was the faith that gave him the righteousness, but it is, it is not just the faith in anyone or anything. It was the faith in God that gave him justification and a righteous standing. Are you with me? So it is not your faith in the chair or in the seat or in the car or in the red light that it will, or the, or the green light that you can actually go through and that it is green and nobody else is going to come through, hopefully. You know, you have faith that this is not going to happen. You go through the red light. You sit on the chair, and you, it's going to hold you up. You have just faith. But this is not faith in a chair. This is faith in God. And so the emphasis is on God, because if God is not in the equation, you don't have justification. So, um, faith, by faith. 
What say the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh, the reward worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So here, here is now coming, he's sliding into the second point that faith is apart from works. Yes? Let me read that verse again. And uh, maybe I should read verses 4 and 5. Uh, to, for what say this, I'm sorry, 4 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So he says that if you want to go the work way, huh, it's right. Huh. Good luck. If you want to go the work way, you get what you do. If I work for Glenn, I work for Glenn, and we have a two-week job. At the end of two weeks, he owes me what we had agreed upon that he was going to owe me after two weeks. Yes? And he owes that to me because that is do me. Yes? Are you with me? I don't, I, I, I would like to be thankful if he pays me. I don't even have to be thankful to, to him because he owes it to me. Are you with me? So, out of a thankful heart, I say, thank you very much, but I don't have to. But now, if he gave me that check without work, I have something to be thankful for. If I don't show thankfulness, I'm, I'm, I'm negligent. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the right thing. So, so, what it is with God that if we just believe what he has done on our behalf, he says, you get the reward of justification. If you want to work for it, you get what you do. Nobody wants to get what you do. You want to get what you do? You don't want to go there, brothers and sisters. You want to get what God, by His grace, will give you. And that is kingdom business. That is kingdom talk. And so we need to live with each other that same way about grace. It doesn't always have to be earned. It's not always tit for tat. It is grace is the way of the kingdom of God. It is that when you hurt me, I kiss you. Excuse me. <laughs> when you hurt me, I buy you a, 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 a basket of flowers or a fruit. I love it when you bring fruit, Celia. Yeah. Celia brings fruit. She can't help it. She's just that way. Um, and so, this is the way of grace. Remember, I had mentioned to you last week that in the New Testament, in the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, there are two systems. You have the system of law, and you have the system of grace. And sometimes you may not know what system you're in, but the words, they demonstrate what system you're in. If you're reading about death and defeat and loss and work and what is due you and uh, um, those type of words, <laughs> that's very small words, but uh, then you are in the law system. If you read the words life, Love, death, grace, you're looking for the, the words, a gift, you're looking for victory, those words, you're in the grace system. So, if you get the two confused, you might find yourself in a mess in understanding what the scriptures are actually saying. You see? And, unfortunately, the people that have been saved by grace are often the people that operate under the law. And the law brings defeat. We'll see later on when it talks about wrath. Um, the law brings defeat in people's lives because it is always a tit-for-tat situation. And so Glenn heard me, so I heard him back. So because I heard him, he hurts me back. And because he heard me, then I heard him back. There's no end to it. 
So there's no end in revenge. There is no end. There's no peace. There's no, no final to it. It always goes on. Not only does it go on, it accelerates. I got it. I'm looking for another word. Escalates. Who said that? Yeah, escalates. It escalates. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and so, therefore, when we're operating under the law, <laughs> there's nothing good that comes out of it. The, the Bible says it, it, it brings forth death. Death to our relationship. But if we can just operate under grace, it brings life. And more and more. From, if you will, from glory to glory. Uh, I've got to go on. So, then it says here... Um, but to him that worketh not, but believe it on him that justifieth the ungodly. Here you have another description of God. He justifies the ungodly. That is a characteristic of God. Well, who are the ungodly? Yes? Are you ungodly? No, no, no. You're not ungodly. You might have ungodly behavior sometimes, but you're not ungodly because you've been justified. As an ungodly person, you have been justified by the Savior. Okay? So, though we have still ungodly behaviors, we are not ungodly anymore the way God looks at us. He looks at us as godly people because He saves the ungodly. And if He saved you, you're no more in that category. What a characteristic of someone who is known to save the ungodly. Without works, without anything that you have to do, but believe. So let me read that again. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So no works. Then it, go, it goes on to say, um, a little further, Paul makes the, 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 the point and he extends it a little bit because now he's going to talk about even David said such and such. So let's look at verses maybe, I think there's six, six on uh, a little bit. Even, they, even as David described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. Stay there for just a little bit. We will see that Paul is bringing in Three ideas of what David said that has to do with our blessedness. Our blessedness is that position in God of righteousness. In, in Greek, just for you to know, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't claim to be a Greek scholar. I, I study and I look and, and at the Greek and stuff like that, but I'm not a Greek scholar. But it is, makarios is the adjective, makarios, and... Uh, the noun is, I lost it, Maca, makarismos. Makarismos is the noun, and makarios is the adjective. So makarismos is the, the blessed state, and uh, uh, makarios is, makarismos is the blessed state, the, 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 the noun, and makarios is being blessed. Neither um, here nor there. So I'm going to use the word makarismos, a lot, because I like that word. you like that word, makarismos? Amen. Brother John says often to me, makarios. He, he, he's just, he means blessing. He, we give each other a hug, and he tells me, he, he's the encourager of encouragers. He tells me, that was a good steak today, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, makarios. That was a good steak today, Pastor. He encourages me. Thank you, because, you know, from him, he is a Bible scholar, for, 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 from him to hear that you, you did pretty good, hey, it's encouraging. Makarismos, that blessed state, he says, uh, the, uh, the spiritual prosperity of the one who is imputed with righteousness apart from his own works. That is what Paul is saying that David said. Yes? Okay, we go back to... Uh, 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 so David said, he described the blessedness of man unto whom God imputed Righteousness, the word imputed, you might say that he gave it to him or he deposited it on his account or he reckoned it as, to, as unto righteousness without works. 
So this is the first part of that blessedness of the man that David is describing. Are you with me? That there is righteousness imputed unto him without works. Verse 7 says this. We're getting now to the second thing that David is speaking about this blessed person. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So you are a blessed person. You are one in the makarismos that your sins, your, your, the, the, the word actually says your lawlessness is forgiven and your sins are covered. My dear brothers and sisters, would that be a blessed state? Hallelujah! <laughs> my lawlessness is forgiven and my sins are covered. How sweet is that? Very sweet. So that is the second the portion of this blessedness. Uh, verse 8 says this. That blesses the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That God will not impute sin or, or uh, put on your account sin. There is no more sin in your account. Finito. Washed away. Cleansed. From the east to the west. You can't find it. <laughs> it's gone. My dear brothers and sisters, this is what God did for you in Christ. And we just, we just got to live like it. Like we believe that. Because there is still so much, so many Christians who have been totally forgiven. Because they believed. Who still hang on to the sins that they have committed in the past. He wants you to be free of that shame and guilt. Free. Free. It's like whatever, a bird in a cage. And they open the, the cage and poof. There he goes. Gone. Free. Not any longer in this box over here in this prison. Trying to get away, but cannot get away. Tries to fly. No, you can't fly. <laughs> you don't have enough room to spread your wings. But they open the cage. God has set us free. No more shame. No more guilt. No more fear. Any of those silly things. So then he says, blessed is the man. Verse 6 again. Please. Blessed is the man. We're going to give him to you one more time. Blessed is the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. You get righteousness. You don't have to or cannot do anything for it. And he says, you are also blessed because God has forgiven your lawlessness, your iniquities, and your sins covered. Where, where are the sins? Oh, I can see them. They're covered. Somebody covered them up. Oh, I see something. Oh, it's the blood of Jesus. And then eight, uh, 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 verse 8 says this. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Because you have believed, God will not allow the, the, the sin on your account any longer. Gone. Se fue. Fuchi. Gone. So, justification by faith, point one. Point two, justification apart from works. And that takes us through verse uh, 8. And then verse 9, he, he brings now the point in that, he brings now the point in that justification is, for everybody who believes. He says, verse 9 says, Come at this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. Then he goes on to make the case 
that that justification does not come by keeping ordinances. Okay? Circumcision was an ordinance. We'll get to it because he's explaining that to us in, in just a little bit. So, here verse 9 says this. Come with this blessedness. You remember the blessedness that David talked about? Okay? That uh, justification is apart from works. That your lawlessness is are forgiven and your sins are covered. And that was, what was the last one again? Okay? Uh, that God doesn't impute sin on, onto your account. So that is... That is what the blessedness what is what he's talking about. This blessedness. Comes it to only the ones who are circumcised? Or does it also come to those who are not circumcised? Because there was a teaching going around in those days by the Judaizers among, among some that for you to be saved, you receive Jesus Christ and you must be circumcised. Now, you can be circumcised, but that doesn't add anything to your justification. So, the, how was it reckoned then? Was it only to the people that were circumcised, or was it also for those who were not circumcised? Does an ordinance of any sort have anything to do with your justification? That's the point he's making. Then he brings up the point, the next verse says this. Verse 11 says this. And he received the sign. I'm sorry, could you go back to 10? Maybe I missed it. How was it reckoned then? Okay, how was it reckoned then? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? He, who is that he's talking about over here? Abraham. Not in circumcision. But, but in uncircumcision, in other words, the question is asked, when Abraham was justified, was it at circumcision, or was it before circumcision, or was it after circumcision? It was 14 years before circumcision that he was justified. The circumcision came 14 years later. So he's making that point because if Abraham, and he's making the point later on that Abraham is the father of our faith, so he's like the example, the earthly example of faith. Okay? So that if Abraham was already circumcised when he exercised faith, then somebody could argue, oh, you see... You must be circumcised. But Abraham was not circumcised. So Paul is arguing, see, you don't have to be circumcised. You just have to believe. Now, see, to me, this is like a huge point that Paul is making because of so much what is still going on today in our world, in the Christian world, that people think that, cert- that, uh, that ordinances, they add to or that they actually make you be justified. Like, for example, take baptism. Baptism doesn't get you saved. Baptist baptism is the demonstration that you are saved. So, Paul is making the same case over here. That circumcision was just a sign and a seal. It was the sign that you believed that you were in covenant with God. In itself, didn't make that happen. Because it didn't make that happen for Abraham, is what Paul is arguing over here. He's saying he wasn't even circumcised. And yes, he was justified. It was because he believed God. So the point that Paul is making over here... Anyone who believes God can be justified. Or I should say differently. Everyone who believes God through Jesus Christ is justified. It is not can be justified. When you believe, you are already, right then, justified. Sometimes people come to Jesus, they make a decision in their seat, 
to come to Jesus, and then the, the, the pastor invites them to come to the front to give their lives to Jesus. They have already done it in their seat, if they in fact have done it in their seat. They were saved in their seat. Coming to the front for me to pray for them doesn't get them any more saved. If they were actually saved. So when they come to the front, I just make sure that they understand what they were doing was the right thing. Then we're good to go. Anyways, let's go on. Let's go on. Um, circumcision. So that takes us through 12. And he received the sign of circumcision, verse 11, a seal of, right, of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they have not, not though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. The father of circumcision, and the father of circumcision to them, who are not of them, of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Uncircumcised. Then 13 says this, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So now he brings the law in. So this was not a law matter. This was a faith matter. But before he goes over there, he brings in the idea that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. Yes? That had also to do with the circumcision and the uncircumcision. Because Israel was the circumcised people. So if he could be the father of many nations, he was going to be the father of many uncircumcised people. Yes? So that gave the, at least the possibility, or I should say the probability, or I should say the surety, that he was going to be the father, as the father had promised him, that he was going to be the father of many nations. Are you with me? And that, he says, Paul is saying, that did not come through the law. That came through grace. The promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they, for if they which are of the law by, be, they which are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. And the promise made of none effect. In other words, what he's saying is, if, if, it, if it is a matter of the law, then the idea of a promise, the idea of faith, the idea of belief is of no effect. If it was by the law in the first place. And the promise, the word promise is also in the, in the group of the, the grouping of grace, the system of grace. Promise, promise. The God who keeps his promise always does so. And he did it through Abraham's faith. Not because the law says so. Because it says in 15, because the law works wrath. The, the, law, the law brings defeat and wrath upon your life. Because the law condemns you. And because the law condemns you, the law is driving you to a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Because those who are not condemned, they don't need a Savior. But the law is working wrath upon you. Makes you feel guilty. Makes you feel ashamed because you can't keep it. You are in need of a Savior, a Redeemer, who will set you free of that shame and that guilt. Then he goes on to say, um, because the law worketh wrath, for there is where... There is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, therefore, if it is of faith, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all 
the seed. And not only which is of the law. So here, here he is making a category of, with the word law. Not just the, the law itself per se. But those of the law which are the Jewish people at the time. Uh, he says, so this thing that the promise that God had and that he kept was by grace. So that Abraham might be the father of the, not only the ones that were under the law but also to the ones that don't have the law at all, that he might be their father also, through faith in Jesus Christ. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom, we have be- before whom he believed even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So he's saying this, father of many nations, and he says, Because he believed in him who makes the dead alive. In many religions, it is believed that God makes bad people good. Ravi Zechariah says, no, in Christianity, God makes dead people alive. So here you have a description of God. That he is known for making that which is dead alive. Woo! Brothers and sisters, that's good news. If your marriage is dead, he can make it alive. If the relationship with your spouse is dead, he can make it alive. If your relationship with your child is dead, he can give it life. If your relationship with your boss is dead, he can bring life. If your relationship with your brothers and sisters is dead, he can bring life. And he will if you just let him. If you just walk in it. That is what he's known for. He who brings to life that which is dead. And who calls that which is not as if it were. Because if he wants it, It will be. Okay. I have to be careful. I heard my wife cough over there. So I'm thinking, oh, it's time already. Okay. (laughs) Now, she she is a a faithful watchman and keeps me out of trouble much. (coughs) Oh, gosh, have I gone too far already? Okay. All right. We're still pretty good. We'll get through this. And then verse 18 says this. Still speaking about Abraham. So our next point is uh, Abraham being the the example, so to speak. Uh, It is Abraham hope against hope. So this is Abraham's situation in verses, let's see here. In verses 18 through 22. Abraham is about 100 years old. Sarah is about in the same boat. Abraham is dead. Procreatively speaking. In other words, he is dead. He cannot give seed for children. Sarah's womb is dead. She cannot get pregnant anymore. Yes? But remember, God is the God who makes dead things come to life and who sees, who says the things that are not as if they are. So he says, no. They might be dead to you, but I'm going to make them alive. And the son that I promised, he's still coming, baby. He's still coming. Your natural eyes are telling you there is no one coming. But I am telling you there is someone coming. But you know, the nice thing is, if it were you or me, we would have said... God has a long time forgotten about us. But not Abraham. Abraham, It says of Abraham, 
he was not weak in faith. <laughs> and it says that he didn't consider that he was about 100 years old, neither Sarah's womb who was dead, or which was dead, or whichever way you want to look at it. But that makes us think, I explained that last week a little bit, that makes us think when it says that he did not consider or and neither Sarah's womb, we think, oh, he, he didn't even think about that. No, he thought about it. It was plain for him to see. So it was not just a guy, Abraham, that he thought, uh, well, you know, God can do whatever he wants to. You know. he, he was very plainly and clearly aware that he was dead and Sarah's womb was dead. With that in mind, still seeing with his natural eyes that neither of them could ha have anything to do with childbirth, with that in mind, his faith was not weak. <laughs> How do you like them apples? So, when it still looks like, when it still looks like you could have a baby, <laughs> of course your faith is not weak. But if it looks like that thing is long gone that you can have a baby, then for, you to, for your faith not to be weak, that is something special. So it describes his faith as not weak. At, at a, a couple of verses, it, it, it describes it as strong. And it says that he, he didn't stagger. His faith didn't stagger. Or it says his faith didn't waver. His faith didn't vacillate between believing and doubt. It didn't vacillate. Ping, boom. Like, you know, you play ping ball, uh, 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 pinball. Ping, 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 ping. Yeah, some, some people's faith go like that. Believe, unbelief, believe that, believe that, no, he wasn't like this, he didn't waver. It was set, his faith, on God, that God was going to keep his promise because God is a promise keeper. And with him, you don't have to worry about it. Now, when I make you a promise, you may have to worry about it. But when God makes you a promise, there's not such a thing as worry. Who against hope believed in hope? There's against hope. That was the, the natural hope. But he believed in a spiritual hope. Yes, praise the Lord. That he might become the father of many nations. To start off with the son of promise. According to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. Now, this is where... I need to give a little bit of, of information, I believe, because of my experience, limited as it is, that many people think that they can just, like I mentioned last week, give God your wish list and that he is obligated to, to fill the list. Like, sort of like a Christmas list. Your parents are asking, what do you want for Christmas? Ding, 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 ding. Siblings are asking, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I want to study on the book of Galatians and like a study on the book of Romans. So then she fills the list. But it doesn't work like that with God. I explained to you last week that when I asked my father for a motorcycle, his answer simply was, no, I love my son too much. Sometimes that's God's answer. You want something and he says, no, I love my son or my daughter too much. You can't have that. That is going to blow your mind. That is going to make you proud. That is going to set you over the edge. Uh, I, I'd rather not give it to you. So, but when he says, so faith, faith is not based on your wish list. Faith is based on God's wish list for you. So people say, I believe for this and for that. You see, um, a friend of mine has an old Mercedes Benz for sale. That has been, how you call it when you have been, that has been re, re, reconditioned. Reconditioned. And then some. Because this is what he does. 
I mean, this is not just done by profession, but by hobby. He does a lot of it, and he works with guys who do this for a living. He also raced some cars, so he knows what he's doing. This is a Mercedes-Benz, and he says, this baby has more juice. <laughs> and a brand-new paint job. I'm a man. My flesh is just the same as your flesh. And I look at the Mercedes-Benz, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't even charge that much for it. It is an older Mercedes-Benz that has been re-upped, redone, and, and, but, but it is, may as well be brand new because that is how these guys recover these things. But I told them, I don't believe that God wants me to have a Mercedes-Benz. I can't get it. Flesh, quiet. <laughs> don't keep talking to me about the Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> I can't have a Mercedes-Benz. God has told me some things that I can have and some things that I cannot have. I cannot have alcohol. I cannot have coffee. I cannot have carbonated drinks. That's just what he told me. He maybe hasn't told you that. But he told me that, so I can't have it. For me, that would be sin. And don't think for a moment that I wouldn't like coffee. I love the smell of coffee. And I love... The idea of the, the exotic coffees that they have these days. From Peru, from, from Uganda, coffee. And then the new creams that you can pour in there. That, I mean, whoa, before it was just milk. Now you have the different aromas. This, the, this way you pour it in alone. Ah, smells so good. I can't have it. Sorry. Um, so, anyways, where were we? <laughs> Mercedes Benz. So, and it says in verse 21. Oh, let me just read. Let me just read 19 of first, okay? And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He never wavered, but was strong in faith, already giving glory to God. So when have you given glory to God for something that he hadn't given you yet, but that he promised you? Oh yeah, I had to do it. Because he spoke to me too clear for me not to believe that it was him speaking to me, and it fit right in, and it witnessed to my spirit. Say, yes, Lord, I take it, and I give you glory for it. 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That he, he was thinking of God, what he promised, God is able to perform it. Otherwise, he simply doesn't promise it. But it's not like he cannot do some things. But when he promises, he's going to do it. You don't have to worry that he's able or not able. <laughs> and therefore, verse 22, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, to whom shall be imputed if we believe in him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So he says, in essence, he says, it wasn't just written for Abraham or about Abraham, it, it was written for our benefit also, for an example for us to stimulate our faith in God. That we might believe on the same God who raised Jesus from the dead for our justification. That all our sins would be forgiven, that we'd be cleansed and, and have justification. So this is, this is a matter of Justification. This is not a matter of sanctification. There is a, a difference. Justification means you're coming by faith, you're coming to God to be saved for your justification. Are you with me? 
You're coming to God to be saved. Once you're saved, God wants you to do some things. You, for, he wants you to do some good works that have nothing to do, they don't add to your salvation as such in the, in the justification. They add to your sanctification. And that, when you do what he's asking you to do in obedience, there comes blessing in your life. Are you with me? Would you please put, if you can, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, and then we're done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It says there, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Lest you, so they put it up. Okay. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You can't work for a gift. Verse 9. I don't have to go there. Any, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Remember we said earlier, no one can boast before God. No one. No one. I can boast about God, but I cannot boast in front of him, before him. Okay? Uh, verse 10. So that had to do with justification, with being saved. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved. So it has to do with salvation, with justification, if you want to go justification, sanctification. This has to do with sanctification. For we are his workmanship. So now that you're saved, God is working for you. You you become like his masterpiece. That is indeed a different translation for workmanship. Masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. You know what that means, brothers and sisters? The Lord's Supper by Rembrandt. The Mona Lisa by whoever painted Mona Lisa. I mean... When you look at the Mona Lisa, if you have never been there, you go check it out in Paris. When you look at the Mona Lisa, it is, it is as if she's alive and she smiles, she's smiling at you. I'm serious. I'm maybe, what's my age? My, my eyes are going, and, and I see the mouth going like she's smiling. I don't know. But uh, he, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works. The good works are not going to save you. But in that saving faith that you exercised, there is built in also that you have faith enough to do good works. And he says, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. God had already beforehand ordained that we should have good works. We should have good works one with another. One for the other, and so on and so forth. Okay, I'll I, I leave that for, for, for another time. Uh, God is good. God is good all the time. All the time.